the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Bob Bergman here broadcasting from my uh, law offices in San Jose in the Cambrian Park area. If you're familiar with San Jose, my office is on Ross Avenue near Hillsdale Avenue, across the street from the Target Shopping Center right there on Hillsdale, just before Hillsdale magically transforms into Camden Avenue. I have a lot of things to cover today. Uh, First of all, I want to let you all know that I will be taking calls on the air if you'd like to call in. The number is 800-516-1220, like the, uh, the number of the station. 800-516-1220. You can also email any questions you may have to me at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio, like what you're listening to right now. Lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. I practice law. My name is Bob, so I try to make it easy around here at my office. I want to let you all know that in uh, less than two weeks now, I will be having my two evening public seminars at the Camden Community Center on Union Avenue near Camden Avenue in San Jose, the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. It's very close to my actual office. That will be Wednesday night, November 13th, starting at 8 o'clock, or Thursday night, November 14th, starting at, excuse me, not 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock. If you come at 8 o'clock, it'll be mostly over. 7 o'clock on Wednesday the 13th, 7 o'clock on Thursday the 14th. You can go to Eventbrite and find them there, or you could go straight to my website at lawbob.com. I just updated the homepage to put the links to register for one of the seminars right at the top of my homepage. So um, it's starting to fill up. There's still plenty of room if you'd like to come and learn about living trust planning and similar kinds of things from an expert, namely yours truly, talking to you right now. And uh, I suggest if you've never had a chance to learn about living trust planning and how it can benefit you and your family, this is a great opportunity. I have a lot of good information to pass out. I have information to literally hand out that you can take home with you. And here's the best part. The price is exactly Zero, zip, nada, no charge whatsoever to come and get better educated about how your family can be protected while you're alive and protected after you have passed away. 
So if you'd like to register, go to lawbob.com. Right at the top of the page, there's links to register for one of the seminars. Please don't register for more than one seminar because space is limited. I've had a couple people who have done that. And when they do that, they're actually taking two spaces when they really can only have one space that they can occupy. So please don't do that. You are able to register more than one person at a time. So if you're coming with a spouse or a group, you can register everybody all at the same time. Again, the number if you'd like to call in is 800-516-1220. So now uh, no calls having been passed through to me so far today. I'm going to go back and continue on with what I've been normally doing on these shows, which is questions and comments from around the state of California. I'm going to apologize ahead of time if my voice kind of cuts out a little bit. I'm a little bit dry and my voice feels a little bit strained today. I went out trick-or-treating last night with the kids and some of their friends and it was a little colder than I expected and I may have kind of thrashed my throat a little bit along the way. So if I kind of cut in and out, that's why. Blame it on Halloween. Now, here is a question out of Los Angeles. Someone said an amendment to a trust that included real property was notarized, but no thumbprint was taken. Does this invalidate the document? Well, first of all, it doesn't invalidate the document if a thumbprint wasn't taken. The fact that it's a trust amendment, it's not really clear whether or not if the trust owns real estate, that's a document that um, that affects real estate because it's a trust that identifies or owns real estate. But notarizing it is independent. Um, I don't real I don't really think a thumbprint is necessary. Although my practice now is to take a thumbprint for everything that is notarized, uh, whether it needs to be or not. That way, I'm erring on the side of caution. But it does not invalidate an amendment. If a thumbprint wasn't taken, I mean, if someone thinks the amendment was a forgery, that's a whole separate issue. And then having a thumbprint could go a long way, presumably, to heading off the argument that a person didn't actually sign a document if they left a right thumbprint behind. Of course, for that to work at all, you have to actually have a master set of somebody's fingerprints to compare with. And um, unless you have been arrested or you have applied for some kind of license or security clearance or something like that, you're not, as a general rule, going to be fingerprinted at all, which means your right thumbprint might not be anywhere else in the world except on a glass you held or, or doorknobs in your home or something like that, but certainly not recorded somewhere. Now, I've probably been fingerprinted I don't know, 14 or 15 times over the years, none of them because I was arrested, but because of various licenses I've held over the years, including real estate, insurance, securities, uh, getting fingerprinted to be a volunteer at my children's school, uh, which also includes a background check from the FBI, being fingerprinted to become a lawyer, being fingerprinted um, every single time that I have renewed my notary commission, and that now is uh, that counts for 11 sets of fingerprints just 
for my notary commission. So I've probably actually been fingerprinted closer to 20 times in my life. Let's put it this way. I'm not hiding. Uh, if I commit a crime, they'll have fingerprints coming out of their ears. So I won't be able to get away with anything. <laughs> Sorry about that. This person wants to know, it says, uh, I'm the trustee of my mother's living trust. She has died. Well, that now makes you the successor trustee of the trust. I need to find out the type of account that rental income should be deposited in so that monies can be reported to the IRS and income taxes be filed. Well, because your mother has passed, you need to get a tax ID number for your mother's trust because her Social Security number can no longer be used to report any income, interest, dividends, things like that uh, for the property that she owned. Then you would need to get a bank account with that tax ID number associated with the bank account. So it's an account owned by the trust, and that would be where you would visit the monies that come in from rental income. So I know many of you out there, maybe you're facing a situation just like that, and you might have a similar question. So hopefully that helped some of you out there. Now, here's a person that was asking a question. They appear to be the beneficiary of a special needs trust with their mother in charge. And the question is, does my mom have to give me money or does she not have to? Well, first of all, this type of trust is intended to supplement any benefits the person might actually receive from the government. And as a general rule, monies don't have to be distributed out of a trust like this unless there's a need that's not being met by the government. So the short answer is, um, the mom really doesn't have to distribute money out of a special needs trust. Okay, so uh, after the break, we'll come back and continue with more questions and comments. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Are you there? Yeah, I like listening to the commercial feed. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue now with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, but remind you that you can call in if you have a question, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. So here's kind of a, this is kind of a sad tale out of the Central Valley. Um, person said, um, in 2004, my parents made a family trust. And within that trust, they left one property to me. Well, Mom died in 2008, and a few years later, Dad stopped working, and my brother took over the family company. When my brother took over the company, he stopped making the mortgage payment on the house that was being left to me that was still in my dad's name. Dad had always paid his bills through his company, which included two mortgages. My question is, do I have the right to sue my brother for the fair market value of the home because the home ended up getting foreclosed 
because my brother stopped making the payments. Well, the first thing I would kind of ask here is, if the brother stopped making the payments on a house owned by the father in the trust uh, after he took over, um, he may have actually breached his obligations to not uh, to um, by allowing that property to go through foreclosure instead of continuing to pay the mortgage. Now, uh, or or if it was unable to pay the mortgage by not selling the property, so at least to realize some gain out of it as opposed to letting it be foreclosed. So there certainly would be a claim by the father um, against the brother for allowing the property to go through foreclosure when he was in charge. It's a little more questionable whether or not the brother would be able to sue for that um, because the brother doesn't have any right to receive the property until the father has died anyway. There's no indication that the father has died. So I think that's a little more tenuous to um, to say that you could sue your brother because he allowed the property to go into foreclosure while he was handling it for the father. Now here, my sister and I inherited a house with 50-50 ownership. Um, she wants to keep it. I don't. How do I force it to go on the market? Well, if you are a co-owner in any in any property, if we're talking about a co-owner of real estate here in California, and you want to sell, and uh, and they don't want to sell, you can go to court with what's called a partition action. That's actually where you sue the other person, and you say to the judge, "Judge, I don't want to be partners with this person in this property." I want the property to be sold so I can take my share and go on with my life as opposed to continuing to be a partner with this person or these people here if there's multiple owners. The partition action um, should be successful because no one is forced to stay as a partner with somebody else. Um, Kind of, you know, the dissolution of a marriage, commonly called a divorce here in California, uh, is also a partnership that... No one forces you to stay in. That's why you can get a divorce. So this is kind of like divorcing the other person who's the co-owner with the property. What will happen is you go to court. The judge will order the property to be partitioned, which means we'll order it to be sold so that the sale proceeds can be divided between the various owners on the property. Now, here's an interesting one that, that has to do with with overreach by a trustee says my dad died recently and appointed my two brothers uh, the executors of his estate so my two brothers and myself are the ones that receive anything i just received a third of my father's life insurance there okay there's never been anything mentioned about requirements needed to receive our share of the estate so my brother called me and said that he'd paid everything and they can now split the cash that dad had. He also said he's worried about what I'm going to do with my share of the money. And before he gives me any more of my money, he wants me to have a drug test. Does he have the power to ask for something like this? I've asked for a copy of the will, which, by the way, this person should already have. And for the details in the trust By the way, a copy of the trust should already be in this person's possession. These are both things of the law. 
Is this something my brother can legally do? My short answer is, heck no. Unless the trust specifically says that in order to receive your share of the inheritance, you have to pass a drug test and be clean of drugs, the trustee has no authority to make a demand like this at all. If if this person had a drug problem and the parent didn't provide for that in the estate plan, that might be an oversight. I do things like that in the plans that I prepare if people have concerns. Uh, but the, the, the deal is, unless it's an explicit requirement of distribution, it cannot be insisted on, and this person has the right to demand their money. So just so you know out there, Trustees can't just add requirements in that go above and beyond or even contrary to the explicit statements in a trust or in a will. Uh, they're, they're not allowed to just kind of make up their own conditions for receiving an inheritance. And yes, that means that sometimes people receive an inheritance that should never receive an inheritance directly because they have an addiction problem or they spend money like it's water coming out of a faucet, or um, they just, they're in a bad marriage or other relationship that's financially abusive. There's a lot of reasons why people should not receive an inheritance directly. That being said, unless there is a legal document such as a trust or will that puts conditions on receipt that kind of recognizes that someone may very much have some kind of a financial or physical or mental disability where they shouldn't receive the property directly. Unless that's in there, someone can't just make up new stuff and say, well, now you have to give me a drug test. Yeah, not cool. And uh, the person has a right to demand their money. And if they won't turn it over, they have the right to sue them to get their money, possibly even have the people pay for the cost of suing them to release the inheritance because the trustee is acting contrary to the trustee's obligations under the law and probably under the terms of the trust as well. Now, here's someone said, I, I set up a revocable trust in Washington state, and then we moved to California. Can we amend the trust in California? Will it be valid in California? We don't want to have to retitle everything. The answer is absolutely yes. You can do what's called an amendment and restatement stating that it's now subject to California law. You can keep the original name and the original trust date, and then you don't have to retitle anything at all. So that's a, a common thing that can be done. Um, and so that in that case, yeah, you can do an amendment and restatement. We're coming up on the second break of the show, which is very shortly from now. I want to remind you it's 800-516-1220 if you'd like to call in and ask me a question on the air. You could also email me at radio at lawbob.com if you have a question. But I'll talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome back. 
you'd like to call into the show today, it's 800-516-1220. But barring someone calling in, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Let's see here. Um, Yeah, I don't like that one. All right, here we go. This is kind of an interesting one because I'm not sure that I really can definitively answer this one. So grandma had a trust and this person saying I was grandma's trustee. She also had to get a court appointed temporary conservator. The conservator went to court for my trust when my grandma was alive saying they needed the conservatorship to sell her property for her care. Grandma's now passed. Does the trust go back to me as a successor trustee? So grandma died. I think the answer would be yes, because a conservatorship generally ends when the person who is being conserved passes away. And that's actually what they call it. When you have a conservator, which is a guardian for an adult here in California, uh, you are said to be conserved by the court, which always has sounded kind of strange to me. I hear that and I think of somebody being put in a, a glass mason jar uh, with a lid on it with some holes punched in the top so they can breathe and then put up on a shelf and then taken down now and then to bathe and feed and uh, and uh, toilet the person and then put them back up on the shelf when you're done. A conservatorship is kind of like that. You, somebody's put in charge of you, maybe put in charge of your property as well. Uh, having a trust, I'm not sure why a conservator was needed in a case like that. Because one of the points of having a trust is so that you don't have to have a conservatorship. Although what this suggests here is that maybe this person asking was not doing anything to help grandma by maybe selling her house, which needed to be sold which is why someone went to court to basically take that away from the person so that the property could be sold. That's possibly what happened. Okay, here out of Fountain Valley, California. Dad established a living trust. He died and his trust became irrevocable, meaning unchangeable. I'm the successor trustee. I've inherited his house outright and free of trust. All other assets are to remain in the trust. When submitting the new deed, can the house remain in the trust or must be taken out of it? Well, outright and free of trust means just that. It means that at some point, he's going to have to transfer this property out of the trust into his or her own name because it's not supposed to be retained in the trust. If it says other assets to remain in the trust, that suggests that other things are maybe going to be held in in trust for this person or for this person and others, in which case it would become an irrevocable trust going forward, holding those assets. But if this house says it's to be distributed outright and free of trust, free of trust means just that, not retained in trust. Outright means distributed out, or you could say right out the door of that trust. And that's why um, it doesn't stay in the trust. I'll skip that one. Here's a question that I absolutely love because it doesn't ask for much. Just want to know in great detail the duties bestowed to a fiduciary and or those responsibilities they must adhere to. 
Well, that's not a short answer at all, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, in general, if we're talking about a fiduciary, it depends. Are we talking about a fiduciary under a power of attorney or a fiduciary as a trustee of a trust or fiduciaries such as doctors, lawyers, accountants, things like that, who may have duties to their clients or customers or patients? I think the the general answer is the general duties for any fiduciary here in the state of California will be found either in the business and professions code for those occupations that have these these uh, obligations uh, or else they'll be found in the probate code for people who are agents under a power of attorney or trustees of a trust. Fiduciary is somebody that is put in a special relationship with another person to look out for their interest, to not do things contrary to the interests of the person they're looking out for, and to not do things to specifically benefit the fiduciary to the detriment of the person that they're looking out for. Um, So in general, fiduciaries are held to a higher standard than the general public. Uh, And if you're a trustee of a trust, you are a fiduciary. You're supposed to look out for the interests of all of the beneficiaries of the trust, not just you, if you happen to be a beneficiary. In fact, you sometimes have to um, do things that are contrary to your best interests so that you do not damage other beneficiaries of the trust. Being a trustee of a trust is not a cakewalk. It doesn't mean that you are in charge and you're a dictator and you can do anything you want whenever you want for any reason you want. It's actually a very heavily prescribed and regulated, at least through the law, regulated job title and position. And someone who acts as a trustee and does not look out for the interests of the other beneficiary or other beneficiaries and ignores their wishes, ignores their input, ignores their complaints, is probably going to end up in court being replaced by a judge. And if they've acted contrary to their authority, the judge may even charge back uh, losses and expenses and everything against the share of that trustee who is acting as a beneficiary. So it's something to take very, very seriously. So here, this is someone out of Torrance said, will I get into any legal trouble if I get money for my dad from his ATM while he's handicapped? Says, so I go with my dad sometimes at the ATM because he has a bad knee. Oh, I can feel from there. I have a pair of bad knees. Um, I swear, with the way my life has gone, sometimes if I had three legs, all three of them would have bad knees. Uh, So he says he goes out and gets money, sometimes using dad's pin for the ATM, and then gives the money to his dad when he's done. Could he get into trouble for this? Well, technically could be if you're using someone else's access code to a bank account, that's technically illegal. Now, if they gave you permission, it's still technically illegal unless they gave you written permission, like a power of attorney giving authority to do that. Uh, So in a case like this, really kind of a case of no harm, no foul. But I would suggest that dad maybe give the son a power of attorney that explicitly states, you may use my pen and my ATM card to get money for me at the ATM. I think that would be safer 
for this uh, son who's helping out his dad. Okay, here uh, we've got uh, mom was put in a nursing home and um, and my sister said she had a durable power of attorney and could do anything she wanted. Now, let's pause right there. Remember what I just said about fiduciary? This sister is a, has is a, in a fiduciary relationship with the mothers who, who's in the nursing home. And she can't do anything she wants. She can only do what the power of attorney authorizes her to do. And she has to make sure she does it to benefit the principal, the person who signed the power of attorney, which is mom in the nursing home. So now mom has dementia and Alzheimer's. My sister spent $8,200 for personal items, presumably for mom, no store receipts, just a debit card amount listed on the accounting, $6,400 for meals eaten out. Question, is a debit card bank statement a receipt? Absolutely not. It just shows you where money went. It doesn't show you what the money went for. If someone is spending money under a power of attorney on behalf of the person that granted the power, they better be prepared to be able to document what do they use that money for. $8,200 for personal items. Was that buying some underwear and socks? What? That's an awful lot of money for personal items, especially with no store receipts. There's no way to determine whether or not the sister took mom's money and bought stuff for herself or her spouse or her kids or her neighbor or best friend next door. Then $6,400 for meals out. That's a lot of money for meals. That's a lot of meals out. The question is, were those necessary meals out? Was that taking mom out for a meal and paying for mom's meal? $6,400 for a person who has Alzheimer's and dementia for meals out? That does not pass the smell test, in my opinion. So in this case, that is, sounds like somebody that, you know, to stop this sister from just spending mom's money, it may be necessary to take her to court and demand a full accounting of the monies that were being spent out of mom's accounts. So let's see, I'm going to save this one for after the break. Um Let's see. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show right now. <clears throat> I think um, I'm going to delay until after uh, after this next commercial break. If you'd like to call in, it's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. You can also email me at radio at lawbob dot com. I'll throw in one more quick plug in this segment for my living trust seminars coming up on November thirteenth and fourteenth, seven o'clock in the evening at the Camden Community Center on Union Avenue in San Jose, near Camden Avenue. You can go to lawbob.com and see registration links at the top of the page. So pick one of those dates, click on the link, it will take you to Eventbrite, and you can register. You can register more than one person with one registration. So if you're coming with family family members or a spouse, register for everybody at once and that'll be just fine. Okay, we'll talk with you after this final break of the show. This is Bob Bergman. Rob Black. Let's get a caller. Now, 
back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the final segment of my show today. I have a couple of more topics to cover, and then we'll wrap things up for the day. Um, this right here, very quick one here. Um, my mother-in-law had major heart surgery with a a stay of two weeks in the hospital. She went to cardiac rehab for a week, learned how to move her body, get around the house, take care of herself. She's at home now taking her meds, paying her financial obligations, and makes her own meals. She has a caregiver who comes in every other day to check on her, do grocery shopping, and spend time with her. She exhibits no signs of dementia or Alzheimer's. But apparently, an adult child of hers is trying to put her into a nursing home or assisted care facility. So the question is, how do you stop that from happening? Well, first of all, you tell your child, leave me the heck alone. I'm just fine. How dare you try to stick me into a place like this where I don't need to be and I don't belong. And uh, and I might go one step further and say, look, you keep pressuring me to do this. I may just very well make an estate plan that decides you get nothing because you're not allowing me to live my life. I'm a big believer that people should be able to live their lives, live their lives in their own own home if they're capable of doing so, even if they're capable of doing so with some assistance. But to try and force somebody to go into assisted living or a care facility when they really don't want to do that doing it over their objections when they're able to care for themselves in their home, I consider to be a very, very poor thing and reprehensible. And I would resist it, and this person might need to, unfortunately, take some kind of legal action to prevent the child from doing that to them. It's unfortunate, but, you know, the last thing that we have to say for ourselves is how we care for ourselves and who cares for us and if someone is going to take that choice away from us, it should be resisted. That's my opinion. <clears throat> so the last thing I'm going to cover today is um, a situation that came out of Southern California. And and it, it to me, it's a cautionary tale. Um, husband and wife, we'll call them John and Mary Smith, uh, created a living trust through some company that prepared all the documents for them. I, I note here, it's not an attorney, apparently, that was involved in this. So they were asked all questions pertaining to their wishes. Uh, the paperwork was completed. Uh, we were asked to pick up our documents, keep them in a safe place. Then after reviewing the documents, we realized major errors were made regarding division of our property and our 401k, which, by the way, it's not something that would be done through a living trust. And if it was in there, that was wrong, as well as how our investments were being handled. Long story short, we went back and were advised that they needed to be corrected. The company was annoyed, saying they'd have to file an amendment to the trust. After much finger pointing, um, we clearly wanted it corrected. Initially, they said, well, it's going to cost you. Then they said, never mind, we'll take care of it. They made the changes in their computer system, gave us corrected copies, and advised the changes were made. I asked that if an amendment was going to be processed. We were told, no, 
our deed would reflect the changes. This didn't sound right to us. Should we pass away, would the documents we have with the changes made be sufficient to make sure our wishes are honored? I'll tell you right now, if there's major errors in a trust document that need to be corrected, the way that's done is by amendment. And and I might do an amendment and restatement, just replace the entire trust document with the corrections. Now, uh, I'll be the first one to say in my career, I've had a few times where I have put an error into a trust. Um, sometimes it's because I was given the wrong information. A couple of times it's because I I misread the information or what the person wanted or I took it down the way I thought they wanted it and turned out that's not really what they meant. That happens. You know, communication has to be two ways. Sometimes it only goes one way and it gets garbled back the other way. Well, in a case like this, you'd want to do an amendment to the trust, maybe even restate the whole thing and saying it's been taken care of and your deed would reflect the changes. I don't even understand what that means. I don't understand how someone's deed to their property would reflect changes to their trust. That is actually nonsensical. I would also be very concerned if the trust was trying to distribute retirement plans through the trust unless the plans were made payable to the trust. uh, A trust is not going to impact any more than a will would impact a 401k plan. So all the way around, my cautionary tale here is don't just use a service that makes living trust for people. You need to get with somebody that knows what the heck they're doing and someone that will correct an error that was made without any charge to you and will do it in the proper way, in this case, with an amendment, not just replacing the pages. So I want to, we're winding up now today. I want to remind you, I do have my seminars on November 13th and 14th, Wednesday and Thursday at the Camden Community Center in San Jose. You can go to my website at lawbob.com and there's registration links for the seminars at the top of the homepage. So I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Looking forward to talking with you next week. And uh, until next week, this is your host of Plan Your State Radio, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman in San Jose, California. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Look forward to meeting you someday. It's been a long time since I've been up at the studio there. I don't have You've been listening to Plan to Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information I on today's we're not program being heard right or to now. schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, <laughs> where right. you'll also find information well, on his upcoming estate planning seminars. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.